There we go. When the system of justice doesn't work, Bronson does. When the courts can't do what they must, Bronson will. Bronson, fighting all the evil that men do. Torture as a political instrument has become a subtle and sophisticated specialty. When the most savage murderer cannot be caught or stopped, there is only one man to turn to. You don't seem like the kind of man that would commission somebody's death. I'm not, but the doctor stands outside the moral laws of civilized people. His kidneys and spleen were crushed. His teeth were completely broken. When evil becomes above the law, the only law left belongs to Bronson. What are you going to do? I'm going to rattle his cage. In the execution of justice, there is no executioner like him. <laughs> In the name of revenge, there is just one name. Bronson, fighting all the evil that men do. And welcome to episode 82 of Unsocial Spectators. Hey now. Hello, hello. What'd you think of the trailer? Oh, yeah. This week we're going to talk about uh, the 1984 film, The Evil That Men Do. Yeah, the trailer is fine. <laughs> it showed every action scene in the entire movie. It showed all the best stuff. Oh, yeah. So, what did you think of the film? It was... I don't know. I mean, it, it like, I enjoyed it on some level because, you know, I hadn't seen a Bronson movie in a while. But it was just kind of violent and over the top to be violent and over the top. Yeah. That, that's what a Bronson movie is. Oh, yeah, most definitely, because Tubi rolled me into another Bronson movie after this, which we have to talk about after this. But The Evil That Men Do is just kind of a basic, you know, assassin. I mean, this Bronson could have been the John Wick of his time. Sure, he but was. If he had better stunt work. <laughs> his fights are pretty lame. Yeah, I mean, he was the action. He was the action star, uh, you know. Ever since uh, he did uh, all the uh, whoa, death wish. yeah, all the Death Wish movies. I yeah, mean, that's what this film is selling. It's it's oh, yeah. just revenge. That's all it is. And oh, yeah. 
So what confused me though is the guy that plays the uh, the doctor, the villain. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know why, but I thought he would he looked too much like Larry Tate uh, from Bewitched. You know Darren's boss. Yeah, <laughs> I kept thinking of that guy the entire time I would see him, and then when I looked him up, I realized this guy has done more comedies and and Broadway than anything. But uh, and he's not the typical like kind of uh, uh, German uh, accented uh, torturer that we get in a lot of movies. Yeah, I thought he had an English accent. Yeah, he has a British accent. Yeah. <laughs> so uh so it's kind of interesting, you know, you think that this guy's protected, but then the the weird parts of this are like, well, the brother and sister are obviously deviants of some kind. So uh they associate like uh uh you know homosexuality within the evil parts. So like the sister picks up a, a a girl and has sex with her back in the room when Bronson has to hide under the bed. And he's just so bummed out that there are two women having sex on top of him. <laughs> and then, uh, and then when he uses the, uh, uh, the wife, the fake wife that he brings along on the trip to get in a three way with one of the guards, like he puts his hand on that guy's hand, remember in the restaurant and talks about having a, a three way. And yeah. he's like, well, me and my wife have been around. We've seen everything. Like, <laughs> you don't even see her freak out or just like, go, what the fuck? But Yeah, uh, that was pretty crazy. You know, um, a lot of Bronson's movies, he starred with his wife, Jill Ireland. Mm-hmm. But this this was apparently one that uh, she, she had auditioned for, but uh, withdrew her name because they wanted to get this uh, Teresa Saldana, who plays the... Uh, uh, the Bronson's fake wife in in the movie. Well, it uh, makes more sense with the story too. Yeah, it does because it'd be really weird weird to have uh, Jill Ireland as the wife of in Mexico. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I so I read this story about this Teresa Saldana. She had been stabbed by a stalker ten times and lived. Holy and, shit. And so she was just trying to get back into acting. And so Jill was a big proponent of her having this role so that she could kind of get back into doing what she does. And after this movie, she even filled her filmed her own life story for a TV movie about the, uh, the stalking and the stabbing. Yeah. I think Jill Ireland was one of the producers too. Yeah. Yeah. She was involved in that way. And then, uh, uh, the great John Glover shows up in this. The mm-hmm. ultimate prick of the 80s is still a prick in this movie as he is the, uh, I guess, the associate for uh, America to Mexico. And he's he's all along with the bad guys and he's a real piece of shit. But he gets he gets a decent death at the end. You know, it's OK. Yeah. Yeah. I, I enjoyed the movie. I liked the ending. Uh, where all the mine workers came out and attacked it. Uh, yeah, the you can see some of the victims of the doctor. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty great. Uh, but you want to talk about Congente? So, Tubi rolls right into another fucking Bronson movie, and it is just the weirdest fucking thing I have. I love that fucking movie, man. <laughs> you do? It I is you. the craziest fucking movie. 
it is so weird. It is so weird to watch now because it has it 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 it's weird because it's the same crew that did this movie. So I was kind of that was kind of what piqued my interest was the directing and the starring in. So Bronson is this terrible fucking cop. He is the worst kind of cop. He is the kind of cop yeah. we don't want. It, and so it, in the beginning of this movie, you you see that he's working Vice. He's got this partner, and they see this prostitute pl- played by Nicole Eggert at a very young age. I think this is one of her oh, first yeah. movies. As a prostitute, she's being pimped out at this hotel to go inside and uh, have relations with this one guy. And as you see, he's unpacking his suitcase full of like whips and gloves and dildos. Yeah, because you got you got to have your dildos. So Bronson and this guy just go in. They just fucking bust the door down. Uh, uh, the guy's in his underpants. You see him. He's about to whip Nicole Eggert. They rush her out of the room. And Bronson is just like every kind of like he's just kind of walking through this film. You have to admit he really isn't doing anything. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, he's just there. Yeah. So he goes, you take advantage of children and, <laughs> and you need to pay. He fucking grabs a dildo. And then rapes this man off screen. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's crazy. It is uh, insane. It, 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 you know, everyone's the bad guy in that movie. Everyone. I remember staying up late and watching it on HBO when I was a kid. And just, what the fuck is going on, man? Well, the B story, the really unnecessary part of this film is this tie to Japan. So right. You, so then it immediately rolls over to Japan where these these uh, Japanese businessmen are learning English customs. And that's where we get the title of the movie. Uh, uh, Kinja, is it Kinjete? Yeah, I think so. Kinjete. And that is a forbidden subject because during uh, the course of exchanging some English lessons, one guy accidentally talks about his bowels. And that is the term that is that is a forbidden subject. While everything in Japan may be open and and you're way more accepting to things, America is very conservative. Uh-huh. <laughs> they really want to make that point that America is very conservative. So then you find out like then they just trash everything about Japan. So this Japanese businessman basically goes out after work, sleeps with these hostess women, gets drunk, parties. So then you realize that he goes back home to a wife who's not really appreciative of him just, you know, being out late. But that's the lifestyle. That's kind of the thing. I love the trick they do in this movie because there is a lot of Japanese in this movie. In the scene where the wife confronts the husband after a night of drinking, they just go to the kid's room. The kids know English. The kids are already in on it. They're hip to America. They they get everything. Mm-hmm. And so they start explaining in English what is happening in the other room <laughs> between mom and dad. And the littlest one has to explain to the older one, you know, the Japanese businessman, he's the man. He's the money earner. So he, he should be able to get away with this and do whatever he wants. But mom is unhappy with his infidelity. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was just weird as hell. The, the it, movie is crazy. I love it. I'm only halfway through it. Like I stopped it because it gets to a point. So I, so so we have this unnecessary huge backstory in this Japanese businessman who essentially just gets to come to America and he is in the same city as 
Bronson is a cop and one night he is riding home on the bus and he sees this uh, it, or uh, he's riding on the train in Japan and he sees this woman getting felt up in the train by another guy. Right. And he is convinced that she enjoyed it, that she had an orgasm and that was really fucking hot to him. Yeah. So so when he's in America, he's on a he's on a bus and, and he thinks she can do it there, too. He thinks he can do it there, but they explain to him. They keep doing this throughout the movie. Japan's culture is so different. They're more accepting of things. Uh, that woman would never yell for help because uh, of the shame associated with it. And that's the, just the Japanese way. So when the guy comes to America and he tries it on a 15-year-old daughter of Charles Bronson, she immediately screams. Oh, yeah. She immediately screams, and everyone rushes off the bus. And I, I skeeted this because this is the fucking weirdest line in the movie that an <laughs> an Oriental an Oriental man touched my holiest of holies, <laughs> and it's almost mocked at that point. Oh yeah, but it, but it isn't really mocked until a later scene. When the Bronson's called in to talk to his chief with his partner, and they're like going to be put on this Asian case because, um, uh, and Bronson goes, "Hey, I don't want any part of this because I hate Asians. Fuck them." And then the and then the chief is like, "Oh, what? Because your daughter got felt up by one. My little brother got uh got touched by a priest. Who gives a shit? Like." <laughs> That was the fucking attitude back then. That's oh, yeah. scary. You see these wild shits. And so so the case they're being put on is the businessman who's come to America, his daughter, has been abducted. And this is the part we had to turn off because it was just really fucking disturbing. It's picked up by the pro by the pimp that we see pimping out Nicole Eggert. And we go to this pimp's house. This is the nicest drug house I've ever seen in a movie. I mean, it is amazing. <laughs> it is an 80s drug house with just well-dressed prostitutes, uh, cocaine everywhere. Uh, I mean, it's colorful. It's like there's a lot of light. Like, it's really kind of a nice place you'd want to go to take a break or something. It's it's weird. But he brings in this girl that, that has been abducted and puts her in the bedroom. And then it's alluded to that he rapes her. Mm -hmm. And then he he uh, he comes out and kind of gives the knowing nod to another guy. They run four different dudes in this room on this girl. And I'm like, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> you know, this is just weird. And before this has seen this happened, uh, you know, Bronson has had to deal with his daughter being felt up. Uh, but they're a good father-daughter pair because he takes her out to indoor football. There's oh, yeah. this whole scene that, that, that takes place at an indoor football thing, and she had and, and she had bought or he had brought her daughter's friends, so they had this kind of engagement, which is weird because after the, the pimp comes up to Charles Bronson, Bronson just shoves nachos in his face and knocks his buddy out. And of course, the daughter just thinks that's the coolest thing in the world. She's not embarrassed by how her father's behaving uh, at oh. all. And so yeah. he, he dude, you have to watch the rest of this movie. I, I will probably after this. It's but I, I was crazier. Just, I it was it, the weirdest part is 
Bronson goes and he's like driving and it, a lot of stuff is just traveling, unnecessary uh, bullshit. And there are these Asians that are gathering at this hotel and he sees, he goes there, them, that's the problem. He gets out of his car. He berates a, a limo driver who's Asian. And then he goes on, he goes full Karen and just says, you people are the fucking problem here. And just rants. This just totally destroys this guy. You're supposed to, I guess, maybe root for, but there's nobody to root for in this movie because everybody's terrible. The businessman is fondling young women. Uh, the, the, the cop is a piece of shit who rapes uh, criminals just because like that. They, there's no law for Bronson. He can do whatever he wants. This movie is just batshit crazy. I've always loved it. It's <laughs> insane, man. Yeah, it's just crazy. I mean, am I leaving anything else out? Because, like, it is so Well, well I'm not going to talk about oh. the rest of the movie, you know? Okay. So, well, I will I, watch You it. have to watch it, though, because... Oof. Oh, my God. It is just... <laughs> fucking weird and then i would like pulled up the trailer because i was like well maybe we'll watch the trailer for it but they're like two minutes long they're pretty long uh it's just like i don't understand who this is for but then i'm worried that like when this came out did this just uh create an influx of people joining the police academy how many cops were made from this movie <laughs> dude it, it was for hbo years you know yeah, I mean, I forget it was in, in the 80s, and because I keep wanting to put him in the 70s because he's had such a long acting yeah. career. All his, uh, yeah, he because in 72, he was the highest paid uh actor at the time, and he made like a million dollars per picture. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I love Bronson, I mean, he was great, he was amazing in The Great Escape. Yeah, I see it awesome. I, I saw uh, uh, The Dirty Dozen. He's great in that. Like, there are movies that uh, I remember him being in. And the first, uh, you know, Death Wish is pretty fun, you know, for what it is. But uh, it does get kind of repetitive after a while. I mean, and even in the sequel, they kill off his daughter after she had survived the first movie. <laughs> and, and have you ever seen the Bruce Willis remake of Death, uh, of Death Wish? Yeah, it's not good. Oh my god, it's so bad. It looks like he's David Addison during the whole movie where he's just kind of smirking when he kills people and it's like he's having a good time. It's not vengeful. Yeah. It's just kind of uh, fun. Yeah, it's about as bad as the rock and walk hard. Oh wow. Wow, I forgot about that movie. Yeah, both uh, amazing originals, terrible sequels. Oh god, yeah. So what else have you been watching? <laughs> oh, uh, where's my list? Oh, a couple of warnings for some horror movies in case you want to dip your toes in them. Slaughterhouse, about a killer sloth at a sorority house. It got me with the title, and I thought this might be fun bad, but it was just all bad. Like, yeah. it it doesn't understand what a horror movie is, and it tried to just be a comedy the whole time. So, like, the murders happen in a montage. Mm -hmm. Really bad. Uh, the remake of Children of the Corn. Ugh. Yeah, yeah, it's really, really bad. It's it's got a girl who's 
like going to be 18 and she's kind of the star of the movie. So the whole, this part takes place when the children take over the town. Would you go, oh, that should be a cool idea. It's really executed poorly. That's the problem. So uh, it, it, it starts with this brother and sister who then are divided when the kids start taking over the town because at like a big meeting with uh, the townsfolk, one of the old men laugh at, at one of the kids. And so they laugh at all of them. That kid just turns on them and becomes the big bad. And she kind of empowers all the kids to imprison their parents and even kill them. <laughs> yeah. So you get a couple of times where you're like, okay, this should be cool. But then they're like, they just drag it out. It's slow. Uh, they refer to he who walks uh, in the fields, like in the other um, children of the corn movie, there's always this corn monster. Well, they yeah. do a corn monster that you see. But it's like a really bad CGI Groot. It's just kind mm -hmm. of like a bunch of green leaves and stuff. Yeah. There's probably one good scene in the whole movie where the monster does come out. They they pull up this sacrifice. The kids pull up this woman on a chain. And the monster comes in and grabs her and drags her into the cornfield. But the 18-year-old the, the is written dialogue like an adult. And she's a pretty good actress because she, she can turn on the tears and shit every now and again. But man, I was just bummed the whole movie. Cause I was like, you have this cool thing where you could like have the kids kill their parents and you're not executing it. Well, they did like a mass, uh, a burial of them being alive. And then they realized, Oh, well we need to bring one of the parents back. So then they undid it and said, well, we dug your mother out and she's still alive and she's going to watch you die now. <laughs> uh, so I I've, wa I've watched uh, The Gray with Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson, yeah. Great movie, man. Uh, he It's not really a, a revenge thing. It's not the normal uh, Liam Neeson. Uh, he, uh, he and a bunch of uh, uh, these uh, workers in Alaska, they all uh, crash land in, in the kind of the Yukon. Yeah. And uh, uh, there's maybe seven uh, survivors and uh, they're all uh, like surrounded by wolves. And it shows how they, you know, try to uh, survive. And nobody, yeah, nobody survives. I, I like the movie because everybody dies. <laughs> yeah i mean it is fun i do remember getting down to the last in that last scene where, where you see liam and the and the wolves together yeah yeah i, I like movies where there's not happy endings those, <laughs> those are my favorite well that kinjete is definitely one of them <laughs> i don't well, see anything you, ha good you have to finish it you know i will oh man <laughs> And then I saw Paul. Oh, I love Paul. That's a great movie. Yeah, yeah, that was really fun. I enjoyed it. He was a fun, fun little alien. Yeah, <laughs> I love, I love Nick Frost and <laughs> Nick Frost and Simon Pegg and uh, who else is Jason Bateman's in that? Uh, yeah, and the voice of Paul, he seemed a little high. <laughs> he did. <laughs> 
Yeah, that was good. Then I watched uh, Men at Work. Oh, the uh, Estevez brothers. Yeah. Dude. Uh, a lot of fun. Um, probably the last time Charlie Sheen didn't make you a... Huh? You know, yeah. enjoyable, enjoyable. I remember it being a staple on cable for a long time. Uh, yeah, I had a good time watching it. Pretty fun. And uh, then I started watching the show Wolf Like Me. Yeah, I saw you check into that. Uh, yeah, I think we got a second season. I thought I would not heard many good things about it. What do you think? Uh, I'm enjoying it. Uh, Itzel Fisher is great. Oh, you yeah. know, uh, Gad's good. I'm, I'm liking it. You know, it's a pretty good idea. You know, um, but yeah, I started watching that, and then I watched Eastern Promises. Oh God, is that the uh, Viggo Mortensen? Dude, that movie's good, dude. Yeah, I think I remember it for the fight scene. Dude, yeah, the fight scene's great. A really, really good flick, you know. Um, I mean, it was a Cronenberg I hadn't seen yet, so I was really excited. Uh, I didn't know it was a Cronenberg movie. Fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so... Uh, I mean, I was like, wow, Cronenberg, I haven't seen. I need to see that. And I love every fucking Cronenberg movie. You know, I need to go like, back and revisit. I, I still probably would put um, Video Durham is probably my favorite. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's had so many great, great ones, though. Yeah, I just don't think I've seen all of his movies. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, which one? Uh, I love Scanners. Scanners is great. Scanners yeah. was like a late night cable fun movie. Like you knew, like you're just going to watch it for the head explosion scene. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, then I watched Xanadu. All right. Let's talk about it because I got a copy of this week because I don't think it's streaming anywhere. And, uh, Oh, I have a question. Yeah. In Men at Work, the black dude who is uh, David, the guy from They Live. Oh, yeah. Uh, David Keith? Yeah, David Keith. Uh, he says uh, they threw away a perfectly good white boy. <laughs> yes, that's a. I love that line. So maybe it is uh, take off on Better Off Dead, or they both spoofed each other, or whatever. I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, they were pretty close to the timeline together, right? Yeah. Uh, okay, Xanadu. Okay, so I had told talk to Shelby about this because one of my favorite tweets ever is uh, Pat Oswalt's brother Matt is a comedy writer and uh, he, he uh, 
I, he's a great follow on Twitter and he wrote this story about, uh, he said like happy anniversary Xanadu, the movie my mom thought was a sequel to star Wars and took me to, <laughs> and, and I had to break her heart that it wasn't. And he wow. was, show, yeah, I know. Like his mom thought that this was the sequel to star Wars. And so she took him to it thinking, I, I, I'm winning one with the kid, and he just was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and Shelby goes, what is it? And I go, I can't really explain it. It's just, it's an ELO soundtrack with Olivia Newton-John, the guy from The Warriors, and Gene Kelly roller skating. Yeah, and uh, the tubes show up. The tubes are in it. I looked that up. I was like excited to see the tubes as they have this idea of this concept of what kind of music they want to have. Um, uh, Andy Gibb was originally supposed to be in uh, the role of Sonny, but uh, he had drug problems and had to drop out. Wow. Well, this is this guy looks like Andy Gibb. Yeah, well, that's why they cast him, probably. <laughs> yeah, but it's also weird that uh, he was in the Warriors too. But like, he's he is so emotionless in this movie. <laughs> he's like every time he reacts to something, it's just like he's reading a line he just saw for the first time. He's a bad actor. Yeah, yeah, not not great and really terrible in this. Uh, and so it's weird because like this movie is trying to capitalize, I think, on roller disco at the time, uh-huh. but then felt the need to put Gene Kelly in it. And it doesn't make sense for this old man. He just shows up in the story, playing his clarinet on the beach, meets the dude and says, I have a ton of money. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to find a place to invest it, but all these realtors can't find a place for me to open this club. Yeah, and in California. In California. And so this place is also the cover of an album that he's painting. And so he goes in real life to find where this was, and it's just a rundown stadium. And it's, of course, the one other place that we see in here. Other than a place he works, but he never works when his coworkers are there. He's always working when they're gone and they're always working when he's gone. Like he shows up for some reason and they're working And Jesus Christ, the comedic relief dude. So terrible. Just, I don't know where this movie came from, the idea of it, but it is just that Olivia Newton-John's a muse and she's there to make sure roller disco happens. That movie was totally fueled by cocaine. Oh, most definitely. Most I mean, definitely. totally. But uh, I do remember watching this a lot as a kid because it had ELO and Olivia mm-hmm. Newton-John. In no, the soundtrack is great, you know? Oh, so great. Mm-hmm. And then there's this weird, like, sequence where they open the club <clears throat> and Gene Kelly's roller skating. And then, like, I just, <laughs> I really thought, wait a minute. At the beginning of this movie, this guy had a dream and he goes this is what i want and all i could think of is where is the 90 minute explanation that he gives this kid of like okay i want to have a bunch of like zoot suit dancers and i just want like a lot of black women dancing <laughs> that's what is, is a lot of this movie and these sequences that are just like really super long but it's like gene kelly at the time was 
really fucking old and they put him on roller skates like old heavy roller skates and had him uh, i think he was 67. fuck that's uh, bad but thing. but i mean he was great shape he could yeah. dance yeah and he does that whole dance sequence with olivia newton john so that you can yeah it's great it. it's great for a 67 year old yeah but it was just a weird like if we put in Gene Kelly, maybe we'll pull in the older crowd mm -hmm. kind of casting. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean it's fun if you're up late on doing a bunch of coke or tripping <laughs> balls or whatever. Well, yeah, that was the other thing is like uh Shelby had had an edible and she goes, She goes, What is happening? She goes, I don't understand this movie at all. Why is she yeah. here? What is going on? <laughs> yeah, well, she was in the perfect headspace for that film. Yeah, because if you try to follow it, it is pointless and dull. And it's just uh, two people who have, like, zero chemistry, like, trying to fall in love on screen, and it's really bad. And Gene Kelly just having a great time because he's like, fuck this, I'm an old man, I'm rich. <laughs> He looked like he was really having fun, though. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't doubt, it, especially in all the movies he's done, and there were nobody was breaking down his door in the seventies to make a movie. No, definitely not. Yeah, but uh, Xanadu. Oh boy. Yeah, and I what I love is when I find movies that I can't find online, and I pick up an old DVD, getting the old DVD intros you know, uh, where they like show movies that are like now 20 years old coming to DVD and high right. def soon. And uh, the menus are only like a trailer and then like a slideshow about like maybe the stars of the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was, it was fun to see that. Uh, so have you watched anything else? Yeah, I watched, uh, there's a documentary on Tubi called QT8 about Quentin Tarantino's first eight films. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. It's really great. I figure you had, I mean, it just, I was just digging, watching all that. I got back into my Robert Forrester kick. I went down a, a, a wormhole of, like, his old TV and stuff and was like, well, he did this old show, but I can't find it online anywhere. And so there's no DVD of it and Warner brothers apparently owns it, but they don't put it up for streaming. So like, and there's, there's like one episode on YouTube, but he had a show that was on, uh, in like 71 that ran for 12 episodes. You just can't get a copy of. And I was kind of bummed out by that. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, then I watched a, a movie about the nineties, uh, direct to video. It was a documentary on a lot of the movies that uh, maybe had a name to it, but didn't have like big budget or theater aspirations. So they went straight to video. A lot of Charles Band uh, talking about him and like the Puppet Master movies and the stuff he was doing back then. Uh, just great horror stuff. Uh, it was really interesting because every year Shelby and I go through a, a horror franchise. And this year we're doing the uh, Amityville franchise. Mm -hmm. And we are now to the direct-to-video uh, 
era because Amityville lasted three movies in the theater. And the fourth movie was a made for TV movie uh, with, uh, oh my God, uh, I'm having a brain fart. Uh, Patty Duke. Yeah, Patty Duke is like the star of the Amityville movie. And the whole pro the whole premise is that uh, the possessions of the Lutz family that were left when they left the house, even though the house is blown up in the third movie, they don't explain that right. well. They have a garage sale to get rid of all their shit. Well, there's this ugly fucking tree lamp that is possessed and is bought by that family and then moved to California. So they have a possessed lamp in this movie. <laughs> there's like, they, they, there's a couple of extra like bloody scenes. I guess they filmed for like a DVD release, but, but most of this movie's pretty clean. There's not a lot of horror to it at all, but they, they end up just throwing the, the lamp out the window and that's how they resolve the horror. There's no exorcism. There's no nothing. It's just Patty Duke throws it out the window. Oh, it was, um, Find Amityville for the Evil Escapes, Patty Duke and Jane Wyatt. So it was Patty Duke's like mother in the movie. It's so weird. They just had these old people in this horror movie that ended up on TV. But uh, the next one, all the rest of the franchise of Amityville is straight to video until it's rebooted by Ryan Reynolds in 2005. Wasn't she the uh, Reagan's first wife? Yep. Okay. <laughs> um, oh, what did you think of Loki? Oh, loved it. I'm still digging it, man. I just kind of love the... Uh, I still think Owen Wilson is doing a bit from... Uh, oh, my God, that buddy cop movie with De Niro and Charles Grodin. Midnight Run. Oh, okay. Yeah, with the food thing. Because, like, this week he was even going in on about the food in one of the scenes. Uh, but I'm digging it. I, I I enjoy just watching them kind of be partners in this whole thing. And Loki's character kind of coming about through all these different changes. Yeah, I, yeah I'm loving it, too. Uh, looking forward to another episode. Yeah, I, I, I hope... I hope they give them more time to just have dialogue one-on-one -on -one because I think that's when it works the best. Uh, I watched the 1994 documentary Crumb. You know Robert Crumb? Yeah, I, I've seen that. Yeah, it's a great documentary. It's probably one of the few documentaries about comic artists that's... I don't know any other comic book documentary that's as good as this. This is such a personal look at this dude's life, though it doesn't feel like two of his sisters. And it's really kind of sad now re-watching it because when you watch the documentary, his brother passes away at, uh, at like before the movie was even released. So they were able to tag on a thing at the end that he had committed suicide. Because you see all the mental health issues in his family. You've got his bro two of his brothers are in it. One lives at home with his mom. He's the one that commits suicide. His other brother was um, uh, living like kind of a flop house and begging on the streets and stuff. Uh, and it, I, I don't, 
I'm pretty sure all the the problems came from the parent the parents and, and abuse there. That's the kind of vibe I got. But uh, since since I was kind of seeing where Robert Crumb was today, like since the documentary, his other son from his first marriage had passed away and his wife had passed away. So it's just him and his daughter now. Like that's all that's left. Uh, and for those of you who've never like heard of Robert Crumb, he's mainly no, it's funny in the documentary because he goes, you may know me from keep on trucking <laughs> his, you know, big sticker there or the Fritz the Cat movie, but he kind of lists off the things of how he was in popular culture, even though he was kind of this uh, biographer uh, of his life and his sexual obsessions. Yeah, uh, that was a pretty good doc. I liked it. Yeah, and, and uh, so next year will be like the 30th anniversary of it, because I was talking about doing it on my other podcast, if anyone was interested in uh, Daniel, who's a bit younger, is like, who's Robert Crumb? <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yeah. Uh the only the last thing I watched uh is uh the Taylor Swift documentary on uh Walt Dis on Disney Plus Folklore the Long Pond Studio Sessions. I've just kind of been digging her music as Shelby's introduced me to her, so I like put that on and just kind of listen to someone be creative and make music. It was kind of interesting because it was done during COVID. Huh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the music I've heard of hers is okay. Don't bother yeah. me. I like it. It's it's to me. It's very pop music. Something I would have turned the radio turned on the radio and heard in the eighties or nineties. You know, yeah. it just kind of left on. Not you know. I mean, I enjoy her stuff. I even talked to Shelby about. Well, are we gonna are we gonna go see the movie? Yeah, I've heard the movie is. Um, a little loud. People are getting up and dancing, and you, you yeah, know. I've seen some videos, so I'm kind of curious because I don't want to. I just want to go watch a movie. Like I don't need. They're to like screaming in the aisles and all this. <laughs> I'm like, no, thank you. Like she's not here. She's just on the screen. Really. Yeah, but the documentary is cool. Like if it, like just seeing people who are creative in music, something that I had no aspirations to. That I'm just, you know, like how do you come up with a song and lyrics and then a beat and decide what kind of instruments you want to use and stuff and how they do it like just digitally now. Like they'll send each other like MP3s of like, hey, I want it to sound like this, or here are the lyrics and and just how they kind of put it all together. Oh yeah. Um... Okay, so um, I don't know what we're gonna watch next week. I have it on the list. But... Oh, I have it. <clears throat> I have oh. the I have the trailer for it because I was gonna. I figured we could play it out with this. Oh, what uh, is it? It's John Schneider's stand on it. Oh yeah. This is this is what I discovered through my moonshine wormhole from last week. Is just going into Dukes of Hazard stuff, and that John Schneider has. Um, a, a YouTube channel where he posts a ton of shit and he's been making his own movies. <clears throat> he made a movie that is a tribute to the Smokey and the Bandit type movies of the uh, late 70s, early 80s. And so it's it's a tribute, not a parody, but it, it seems like a parody at times. I'm not sure. So I kind of wanted to watch it 
Uh, it looks like it's going to be bad, but I feel like their heart's in the right place. So I don't know. That may change my mind. Do we have any news or do you just want me to play the trailer? Uh, I don't have news this week. All right. So next week we will watch, <laughs> we will be talking about John Schneider's stand on it. And you can watch it free on YouTube or Tubi. It's pretty much free wherever. Um, okay. okay. I got to, damn it. I got to share my screen. Hold on. Chew it up. <laughs> huh. Oh. Yeah. Cases of yellow. This is really bad. We bet that you can't drive to Austin, pick up 400 cases of yellow local and have it all back here within 24 hours. That was a movie. And in the movie, it was 28 hours. Got yourself a deal. <laughs> Why do fill my thermos? Let's haul ass. Got the one and only Frosty the you know what here, Duke Thank boy. You, Come on, son. We're burning daylight. We got to get back, win the bet, collect the money. So stand on it, son. Get you run a red light in my town. He is very good. You are really bad. You know the back of his truck says ROY. Her name is Roy and I like to drive. Get in, why don't you? And you're young. You've got something I want. And I'll chase you to hell and gone to get it back. <laughs> What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. I like to drive. You're driving me crazy, son. <laughs> uh, you know what? Uh, trailers yeah. these days suck. 